Hi, I'm Susan Foch, and when I was 18 years old, I launched a national nonprofit organization out of my freshman college dorm room. Now, with almost a decade of experience under my belt, I'm here to teach you my tried and true tips and tricks for running your own nonprofit or social enterprise and how to build it from the ground up. You're listening to this podcast because you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you, I hear you, and I'm ready to help you. Now let's make an impact together. You're listening to the Make an Impact podcast, episode 42. And today we are talking about one of our most talked about (laughs) um, and visited again topics, which is nonprofit marketing. And one of my favorite people to follow on social media regarding this topic is Raquel Edelkoff, who is at the Instagram handle at thepedal.co, simply because honestly, she just makes me like laugh and always giggle (laughs) about a lot of the harsh truths that revolve around nonprofit marketing. Um, And I also feel very called out and very personally attacked by a lot of her stuff um, in the best possible way, because it's always a great uh, like reality check and perspective check for me on the marketing methods that we're doing for Operation on a Loan. And she made that Instagram account about six months ago. And so I've loved following her ever since <laughs> her page popped up. She has so much great wisdom to share about nonprofit marketing. And my favorite thing about it, much like the rest of the nonprofit world and the nonprofit community, is that You know, nonprofit marketing is always viewed as if it should be something on the back burner, that we should only get advertising space when it's donated, that, you know, one really well curated social post really should just be enough. And maybe if you're in the newspaper for a little like op-ed or a little kind of piece, that's great, but you should never pay to put yourself, you know, ahead or in front of these things. And my issue is that I feel like nonprofit marketing always gets painted as this like, uh, you know, for-profit marketing with this like empath hat on or, you know, it's like it's really charitable, really cute, really nice hat on instead of, you know, the competitive game that it is, much like all marketing, especially in our constant like noisy, crowded, uh, very easily distracted world that we live on. And honestly, I think it's gotten, I think we all have gotten more distracted with the pandemic because all we are are just at home staring at our tiny rectangles (laughs) while we distract ourselves from our medium rectangles before we reward ourselves with our large rectangles um, at the end of the night. Like we are so just flooded with with screens, with technology, and it's just bursting with ads like left and right. Like it is a noisy space. Um, So it's that much harder for a regular company to try and advertise a product or a service and 10 times harder for a nonprofit to share something about their mission. And so I was really excited to be able to sit down with Raquel today and just talk to her about some really blunt truths about nonprofit marketing. It's a super insightful conversation. You're absolutely going to love it. But before we dive into the episode, I have to make this huge, huge, huge ask request plea of you guys. If you are listening to this episode... And if at any point in the episode that you are enjoying yourself, you are getting value from it, you are loving the nugget wisdoms that Raquel is dropping, I need you to just like, you don't even have to pause it. You just have to go to the main part of the podcast page. I need you to hit the little five-star button. And if you're feeling really saucy, 
I need you to leave a review. I think like, I don't know, like five words it could even be. Just that you you love the show. It's like your great one-stop shop for nonprofit wisdom. That would be great. That would make my day. It has embarrassingly been a couple of months since the last time I saw a review pop up. It not only would make my day, uh, but it helps the show so much. It helps the show. It helps uh, this guest. It helps this episode bump up. It helps everything of everything. And those kind of reviews are what allows me to keep making this kind of free content for everyone about the nonprofit social enterprise world. So please, 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 please. Uh, I, I, I need you. I need you. I need you to do it. I need your help, friends. So uh, please, dear Lord Almighty, help me out with a rating and a review. OK, thank you so much. So let's just dive right on into it. Raquelie, thank you so much once again for being here today. I feel like I've known you and been friends with you for so much longer uh, than I actually have, thanks to Instagram. So can you quickly give everyone just a rundown of who you are and how you became to be this like nonprofit marketing guru. All right. So um, like everybody's story, it's kind of a long winding road. So I'll try to just um, focus on the maybe beginning and the end and we'll kind of skim over the middle. Uh, so I actually got involved in nonprofit work when I was in high school and I volunteered for an organization that peers uh, young people with and without disabilities um, to create inclusive friendships together. And I, I absolutely fell in love with that work. Um, I got very involved in the organization behind the scenes, started my own fundraiser and so on. And um, after, you know, after graduation and all of that, I ended up going back to that organization, um, a different chapter on the West Coast. And I got a job as a program coordinator there. Then I ended up going to another chapter and um, on the East Coast and was working there as a volunteer coordinator. So I kind of um, was very, very, very involved in that organization. But something that was kind of a common denominator at every one of these chapters that I stopped was that the marketing was virtually non-existent. So in addition to whatever my real role, I ended up kind of taking on the marketing and I loved that. So I ended up sort of transitioning into marketing. Um, I got some excellent opportunities. I was living in Brooklyn at the time. Um, so working for some really, really great companies, but what I found was that I really didn't love it. Like I was, I was good at it, but I, I just like, I was like, you know, I don't want to sell this item, you know, like I don't care about it. Um, I don't want to wake up in the morning and do that. And so I kind of was at this crossroad, crossroad where I had this love for nonprofit work, this love for marketing. Um, but, um, but yeah, the, the for-profit marketing was just not for me. So I, um, I ended up taking a position again in the same wonderful organization that I loved, um, off in Montreal, where I was the program director. Now, when I came there, uh, they, it was an incredible organization, but the marketing had total, totally fizzled out. When they had opened up their big center, they had hired, you know, a PR firm. And when they had their big fundraiser, you know, they hired a marketing firm. But the everyday marketing was completely non-existent. And so in addition to this full-time role that where I was already juggling, you know, a couple of, a couple of um, full-time roles, I would say I took on the marketing because I cared so deeply about it. And I was working with virtually no time and no resources because that was not my, you know, my primary job and responsibility. And so I really had to double down on like, what are the best practices? What do I really, you know, where do I really want to invest my time in? And um, we had incredible, incredible results from the marketing, even though um, there wasn't all that much time being being put there. And I ended up, you know, having a lot of 
other local nonprofits, you know, come to me for marketing advice and marketing insight. And what always struck me was that, you know, the organizations, when I got to know them and the people, it was amazing. But when I followed them on social media, it was dry. It was corporate. Like there was just, you know, there was no reason that I would have wanted to connect with them. And um, that really drove sort of this, this um, latest stage that I'm in where I opened up a marketing company to coach nonprofits uh, to use, you know, that really, really limited time, really limited budget in the best way and in a way that can really work for them and maximize, um, you know, the impact that they're doing and grow their organization. And I work with nonprofits just for like, um, just for about six weeks and give them the tools so that they can do it in, you know, in a really feasible way and learn, you know, all the little shortcuts and what they should really be investing, um, you know, their time and energy in. Mm-hmm. I was going to try to keep that short. That was not short. <laughs> you know what? Some people do it in like three sentences. Some people do like five <laughs> minutes. It's all good. I, so what I think is so funny is when I launched the podcast back in July, I think it's like right about when we started following each other on social because your social handle is thepedal.co. And I just found it so funny because I've been following your nonprofit marketing advice. But as we talked about earlier, I feel like we've been social media friends for a lot longer before I've actually gotten to talk to you like this. So I'm excited, but you've always had really good like marketing tips that you've shared on there, but they're also really funny. (laughs) Um, So my question to that is, you know, you do share a lot of really great tactical pieces of advice for nonprofits to market with that I love, which is why you're here today. And so if you could wave like a magic wand and change one thing about how nonprofits market themselves, what would it be and why? This might sound a bit too bold, but the truth is that what I really like to remind nonprofits is not to be so self-centered in your marketing. And it's so ironic because nonprofit leaders are obviously the most selfless bunch, but when it comes to marketing, they sort of have this this idea that marketing is about me telling you how incredible my organization is, you know, how incredible the work I'm doing is so that you'll value it and you'll want to invest in it. And same with the marketing messaging, Um, you know, deciding what to post, how to post, what messages to put out is all about, you know, what does my organization need today? What is like the emergency of the month? You know, we have, we have a gala and we need to sell X amount of tickets or, you know, we need X amount of volunteers uh, by next week. And so it's all about what do we need and what do we want to say, as opposed to putting your community and your audience at the center and thinking, you know, what do they want to hear from us? And I think that's really the biggest switch that needs to happen. And when you do that, that's, you know, the results just, you know, start flowing in. Mm-hmm. I, I really agree with you on that. And I think what's funny, I just did an episode about also the language that I, that irks me that a lot of nonprofits use, which is within that kind of that selfish, like focus on like, this is exactly what we need. I feel like a lot of times it's also rooted in like shame. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, we are doing this great work and this animal for example, um, you know, like this animal, this child, whatever, and you know, is dying or they're hurting, like you should be, you know, our sweet social media viewer, <laughs> like the one compelled to like hand over $20, like keep doing that. So in that language, that drives me nuts. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, hundred percent. So, you know, if we're going to go down the guilt or shaper, I mean, there's just 
endless things to feel guilty and, you know, shameful about, right? I mean, there are starving children and there are, you know, animals that need to be cared for and there's veterans. And I mean, the list goes on and on, you know, you're not going to win that game. Um, And if you actually play that game, then your cause just might not be the most desperate one. You know, you just Mm -hmm. don't want to play that game. Yeah. Okay. So I know we talked earlier that people, especially like your audience, my audience, like everyone loves concrete examples. So I'm going to put you to the test with this one. So I heard this and I think it was a Dan Pallotta example. When we look at for-profit marketing that does this well, like Nike, right? They are all about um, athletes and like these really well-fit people and people who work out a lot. And their messaging was always, and you can have the same tool that these athletes used to train because everyone can train like the athlete within themselves. Like you can kind of be like that, that warrior, that, you know, that fit person, you can hit any of your like fitness goals and we have the tools for you. But imagine if Nike's messaging would have been, Hey, you overweight unathletic person, wear this sneaker, <laughs> like it'll fix your problems. It's not, you know, they didn't use the same shame messaging that a lot of nonprofits will use. So what is a great nonprofit example that kind of mirrors like how, again, Nike didn't go the shame route. They went the inspirational wow route and like, look at them now. Yeah. I love, love that example. Yeah. So um, I would look to Charity Water just because I think they're such a leading example in the industry. Mm-hmm. And they really, they've really changed up how, you know, nonprofit, nonprofit marketing in general, they're really, they've really been an industry disruptor in that way. So mm-hmm. um, Charity Water, if you're not familiar, um, their mission is that we believe that every person, um, you know, can have access to clean water in our lifetime. And instead of the message, right, being something like, look at you and your comfortable house, you know, driving your really nice car and you get to turn on the faucet and you never even have to think about that clean water. And look at all these, you know, poor people in these countries. There's so many millions of them. And look at the type of water they're drinking. Uh, You know, it's just heartbreaking. And, you know, can't you just shell out a a couple of dollars to help them? Um, Here they have this, first of all, this beautiful vision of what the future can be. You know, we are going to make sure that every person has clean water in our lifetime. You know, you want, you know, it gives me chills just when I, just by repeating that. And the model that they do it also is, um, it's so beautiful because they focus right on one city at a time, one, you know, one region at a time. And they celebrate that success of we've brought clean water to, you know, to this city, to this region. And they actually, their team goes in and they document, you know, the children drinking the clean water and dancing in it for the first time. And so they celebrate every single little win on the way. And I think from the, um, from the donor perspective, something that's very unique also is very often you'll have, as you mentioned in the athlete example, you know, here are the athletes, they're crushing it, they're killing it. And, you know, you're this little guy who's, you know, going to try to lace up sneakers and run a 5K for the first time. Um, I think that very often with nonprofit work, right, we have the nonprofit and their team is sort of these, um, you know, these benevolent, wonderful, kind-hearted people. And, you know, you're not you know, you're not um, working in the nonprofit sector full time. So the least you could do is write a check. Um, But here they actually have, you know, they have um, an amazing uh, monthly giving campaign. And just their entire their entire way of dealing with their donors is, you know, every dollar, you know, uh, every I forget how much it's like, you know, $50, and you're giving clean water to X amount of people. And they celebrate their, um, 
givers as the stars, as the center of the organization, as opposed to, you know, the team working on in the field and so on. And they really um, create that, you know, every donor feels like the star. They feel, you know, what a taste of what it's like to be, you know, a nonprofit director or a nonprofit leader. And so I think that, you know, we can kind of take little bits and pieces of that and use that for inspiration in our own work. Yeah, I, and I love always using Charity Water as an example. I, I'm I feel so like it's a cop out. <laughs> but it's like so good. I literally, for anyone on my like operational loan team, when I send them kind of their like welcome to the team, like get starting kit, like I put a copy of like Scott Harrison's book in there because I love it so much. But it has transformed a lot of the ways that even like we do things on a smaller scale. But because it was important, and I think it, you know, they tie back two examples that you talked about, which was number one, um, yeah, I, that you can also see exactly where your impact is going. Right. Cause I know that when you donate with charity water, like they have like a, like you can go in and like, see like a pin on a map. And it was like, this is exactly like the well that your donation was able to, to, to fund and in what country and, and with what people. And number two, when he talks about this pretty in depth in the book, like there was a part and obviously it made some donors angry who wanted a more perfect picture, but it was, um, it was something about they had this great, like, I don't know, like a million dollar donation and they were going to go to a really difficult like area that it was going to be to drill a well and they were going to live stream it. And it just didn't happen. Like the walls, like in the ground kept collapsing. They physically couldn't build this well. And so he did this live stream where he was like borderline in tears. Cause he was like, we can't drill this well. And he's like, and I hate this and I wish that we could fix it, but it just like, you know, the, the wall, he's like, we'll try again later. But he's like, I'm really sorry that I kind of like failed everyone right now. And everyone came back and they're like, we get it. Like, you're fine. Like you can't, you know, fix the entire core of the earth. <laughs> like, yeah, try again later. But you know, we're not going to villainize you for the fact that in this one drilling spot, uh, you, you couldn't make a well happen, you know, like, we'll pick it up and try again later. And people were a lot more forgiving. But because he was honest, he wasn't he didn't like lie and was like, yep, the well went great don't worry about it. Um, and then imagine just like the trust that it builds, right? Like when a project yeah. goes right, you have that perfect faith that if he told you everything went smoothly, like, you know, it did, right? Like, yeah. because he showed up, he showed up authentically. I love that story. Yeah. Well, and just because it, I mean, but I think that as, especially as nonprofit leaders, we all can feel that dread of like, just waiting to be like crucified on social media of like, look at this like failure who didn't, you know, he said he was going to drill this million dollar well and he didn't do it. Um, and I know because and because that even had like lawsuits attached to it, like, you know, a really angry donor that was like, where is the result from it? Um, wow. And so, you know what I mean? I think that's what we all are like worried about in the back, but it built so much more trust. And one of the reasons why Charity Water is what they are today. So I great nonprofit example for that, but awesome. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about the languaging and the self-centeredness, but aside, aside from that, maybe in like the marketing, excuse me, sir, the marketing tools, uh, you know, whatever it is, what is the largest mistake that you see nonprofits like still making in 2021? Because like we still have crisis after crisis happening around the world. And I think that's what's making our, our like kind of like guilt and shame messaging harder is like, the entire world is on fire. Like it's not, you're not going to compete with that. So what is still the biggest mistake nonprofits are making in their marketing plan? So what I actually see very often is nonprofits really investing heavily when it comes to, um, you know, their annual gala or their, you know, big fund, fund, fundraising event. And 
Um, and then, you know, in between that or throughout that, they're kind of either silent or their marketing is very blah and there's no creativity. And they actually feel like, okay, you know, I have this big event, so I'm going to, you know, hire the graphic designer, get a consultant on board and, you know, really roll out this amazing marketing campaign. And in my opinion, that actually does more harm than good, because think about what message you're sending to your audience. What you're basically saying is, I don't really care that much about communicating with you that much about our relationship, but Hey, you know, when I need something, I am going to show up and show up big. Um, you know, so it's imagine you have a friend who, you know, ghosts you, maybe not, probably not a friend, but you know, an acquaintance and you know, suddenly they call you up and they say, Hey, we haven't hung out in so long. Can I take you out for like a beautiful dinner? And you guys go out to dinner. And of course they have this huge favor to ask you. Um, the fact that they took you to a nice restaurant just makes it way worse. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, what you really would rather is like that consistent, you know, take that money, you know, say you say, well, mm -hmm. I don't have, I don't have a big budget. This is all I got. And I need to put it on my fundraiser, you know, take that, be strategic and drip it out throughout the year, right? Like cultivate that relationship, build it. And so that when you have that event, you don't need to like roll out the red carpet because people are invested in you. They're invested in the relationship in the organization. And when you ask, they're going to want to show up, you know, you're not going to have to put out all the bells and whistles. Mm -hmm. But that's like true though. I mean, I think we do have friends like that where maybe it doesn't feel like ghosting, but it's like every time you talk to them, they need something. And it's like, they are like, that's an exhausting friend to have. So that would be an exhausting organization to support. You know what I mean? Um, so on that note though, of, you know, because as nonprofit people, we have to be really, really creative with really stingy with like our budgets. And I feel like marketing is always the first thing that people want to cut the budget on because it sounds like the easiest, you know, spot to skimp and save money. So how do you deal with nonprofits or how do you help guide nonprofits, I should say, who know the importance of marketing, want to roll out a really great plan, but they're feeling really discouraged by their budget constraints? Yeah. So obviously that's probably the most common thing I hear. And what the way I look at it is we are often comparing ourselves to the for-profit sector, right? So, you know, if I was a for-profit company, then I would have, you know, this big marketing team. But what we don't realize is we're kind of that's not sort of our competition. And so we don't need the same size budget. Mm. You know, imagine if you're trying to sell, um, let's think of something dull. Oh my gosh, now I can't think of anything dull. But, um, um, a vacuum cleaner. Vacuum cleaners that yeah. actually just popped into my head. So say <laughs> your company trying to um, sell vacuum cleaners. I mean, how much money do you think it costs to build a community of people that are loyal and talking about your vacuum cleaner. I mean, you need a very different size budget than mm -hmm. if you're trying to build a community around, you know, around the belief that all girls, all young girls should have an education. Mm -hmm. I mean, how much money do you need to build that community? So what I think nonprofits need to realize is you're not competing with the for-profit. You have certain things that the for-profit does not have. And some of that is like, you know, it might sound cliche, but it's priceless, right? Your mm -hmm. story, your passion, that energy, that like excitement that just comes from, you know, changing the world, using that and channeling it in the right way um, doesn't take a lot of money. I'm not saying it doesn't, it's free. You're like, that's not true. It's not free. Right. But that really, really small budget um, done strategically can go so much further. 
Right. Which is fair. Cause you are right. Like it's, uh, I mean, there are some people who love their vacuum cleaners, but it's not, it's not <laughs> a large bunch. I, I do like that advice. So, okay. But also on that note though, I do feel like a lot of times, so not maybe budget wise, but we still are kind of fighting with the nonprofit sector for the same, like, um, the same visible eyeball. And I'm thinking like, uh, and the example in my head right now is like, if we are in Times Square, you know, crazy like billboards all around, but, and they're like those like center billboards that kind of like come down, you know, we are fighting, everyone is fighting for like that space, like that eyeball space. So in that, and which is so hard with nonprofits, because how often do we get like donated advertising space? And it's like the bottom corner of like page 47, in like a book <laughs> somewhere. And you're like, this isn't helpful. Um, what is your kind of advice to navigate that just to get in front of more people's eyeballs when they do feel like they're competing with the non the with the for-profit sector like that so as you mentioned you know our phones are yeah like a mini times square um i personally find it more distracting um so in that case again going back to the same idea you can't compete right i mean Mm -hmm. there are so many brands first of all every fourth post on your feed on social media is an ad and these are companies that are you know spending a ton of money just on the on the creative and the targeting and all of that and then you have you know who are people following they're following their friends their family like the brands that they love whatever it is i mean you are just competing with everyone and so Mm -hmm. if you're going to try to compete you're not going to win what you have to really do is the scariest thing, which is to say my nonprofit is not for everyone. Um, And the reason, and it just sounds so ludicrous because you're like, you know, we're trying to solve um, this global problem. Of course, it's everybody's problem. And every, you know, who is our target audience? Every single human being with a beating heart. Um, But when you're going to do that, um, when you do that, you, um, you're trying to talk to everyone, you're, you're not speaking to anyone. And so really getting clear on who are those people currently that are obsessed with your cause? You know, that you don't need to ask them for a donation. They're showing up to give. You don't have to ask them to spread the word. Um, they're doing it on their own. Who are these people? What are their common, what's, what do they all have in common? What are those like common beliefs? Or sometimes it'll be a demographic. Sometimes it will be, you know, they will be every age. Sometimes there'll be a specific age. But really understanding who are the people that are most loyal to your organization? What is it about, you know, their beliefs, um, who they are that attracts them to this cause and then saying, you know, we're going to find all those people that are like-minded. Um, we're not going to look for the people that we need to convince them that, you know, it's important to do this work. It's the people that believe in this cause already. And we just want to show them that this is going to be the most successful avenue to achieve that thing that they are really passionate about. And mm-hmm. then it's just, it's just a different ball game, right? Um, because you're attracting the people that, um, that when they hear your message, they're like, you know, oh my gosh, this is for me. And then you're also targeting your message very specific so that when they read it, it sounds like it's a message for them. Right. Can we repeat something you said though, that was very powerful. And I feel like it is a cornerstone to marketing that people like to forget about a lot. And it's when you try to speak to everyone, you're actually speaking to no one. Because that is huge, I feel like, because people want to just kind of be like, no, 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 like I'm going to get everyone in like a big crowd all together and everyone is going to feel heated about homelessness and hunger. It just, it's just not like, you're never going to get some people to care about your cause. And that sucks to like think about, but it's so true. 
But I don't think it sucks. Here's the thing. I would turn it back on the nonprofit leaders and say, mm. you know, if you're immersed in a cause, right, and the only thing you're thinking about is homelessness, well, guess what? When I'm going to come to you with four other very important causes, they're just not the things that you are most passionate about. And we can only be so passionate about so many things in our life. And there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I can't solve all the social problems of the world. I'm channeling my energy into um, this one because I care about it most. Every nonprofit leader is already doing that. So why are we judging, you know, our audience or other people when they do that as well? You know, if somebody is super passionate about, um, you know, providing clean water to people don't, that don't have access to that, and you are going to be going on and on to them about, you know, the importance of supporting veterans. Um, I just think you're barking up the wrong tree. Like, let them do that thing that they're passionate about because they're going to show up in the best way for that, the same way you show up in the best way for the cause that you care about. Oh, that was good. That was good. I really liked that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's go with, um, cause I know we said we were kind of pick on operational loans. So for my organization, which is, uh, half veteran, half kind of mental health focused, um, for something like that, where should marketing focuses really be? Because I know that we do put the majority of our focus in social media, but it's, you know, there are organizations who really put it into like into billboards, into mailing ads, into, um, you know, other press and media. What, it, like if we had to break it off into a pie chart of like, what was the most important thing that we should be focusing on? Where should that be? Okay, so you're going to actually make me sound really boring and like a broken record here with this question, because I'm going to just, I'm going to have to repeat the thing that we were just talking about, right, which is you got to know your audience. So you might love Instagram, but if, you know, as we said, let's go back to who are your super fans, who are the people that are obsessed about your organization, Um, if they're, you know, um, you know, women in their 40s, Um, then you really need to assess, like, are these people, are they using Instagram? And if they're not, where are they hanging out? Um, And so you really need to not think about, right, like, what's my favorite platform? What's my favorite way to show up? But really think about where are these people that I'm trying to attract? Um, I'm sure you know the new Clubhouse app um, that that came out, right? That's all the buzz. And I was telling nonprofits, I'm like, do not go there unless you know that the people you're trying to speak to are there. I mean, you can go there for fun, you know, to network or whatever it is, but you know, you really need to understand where your audience is and then show up there for them. Mm. Now, wait, I won't, I won't totally cop out. I'll give you a little bit more than that. No, I was <laughs> um, going to say, I mean, it's so still, other, it all makes sense though, right? Yeah. So the other piece I would say to this is, I like, um, I like any really investing in that long-term relationship. So social media is great because as I said, if I follow your organization and you're showing up consistently with great content, you're developing that relationship. You're cultivating the same thing with email. If you are sending out consistent emails that are adding value, um, you're slowly building up that relationship as opposed to um, maybe some of the things that are a little bit more flashy, right? Like, um, like a billboard or, you know, getting on the front page of, you know, the local newspaper where it's a lot of bells and whistles, but you don't have a chance to cultivate that, right? So someone might have read your article, um, you know, from that, and then, you know, you're out of sight, out of mind. And so I love the idea of thinking about marketing as like a long-term game. Uh, most people need to see the same message, you know, seven times before they're going to take action, right? Um, 
think seven to 10 times. I think they're actually growing that number. Um, yeah. I guess we're, we're more distracted than ever. So really thinking about, you know, first of all, what platform, um, you know, what platform are these people that I want to speak to? Where are they? And then really investing in something where you can slowly be building that relationship. Um, and I'd say the last piece here would be to track, right? You don't have to know that answer. So if you say, you know, I'm not sure, then, you know, see what, you know, look at that data, look at your open rate, you know, look at your engagement on, on social media. Now, some of that might be the quality of the content. Um, and so you probably want to invest in that first. But if you feel that, you know, your messaging is right and the quality of the content is right, then look at, you know, look at how your, how your audience size is growing, look how your email list is, um, see what the response is coming from there. Um, you know, the response doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, monetary donations, but just really seeing that people are, um, are engaging with you, you know, based on your story, they sent you a message or you're seeing comments, you're seeing shares, you're seeing that people um, are there and receptive and that that relationship is being built. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I know that you just, well, you talk about this often, but you just reshared this like earlier this week and it resonated with me was, I know a lot of people are if focusing on social media of any size, like I don't Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, like people are, and I think it's natural that we're all obsessed with like those numbers, right? Like how many followers do we have? Like how big is our audience? Cause I think as nonprofit people, we translate it kind of incorrectly as like, well, maybe incorrectly, like, you know, because we look at that number and we're like, well, how many people care about my cause? Which is why we're like so obsessed with growing it. But you've always made a great point of like 500 people is a full auditorium. Like don't basically like don't shit on like 500 Instagram followers if they're highly engaged ones, right? Exactly. So with followers, um, with email lists, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. it's really about the quality of those followers. Mm -hmm. I'm working now with a nonprofit that um, she actually participated in an engagement pod. So she had a bunch of people that, you know, they sort of all made this agreement. We're all going to follow each other and engage in our content. And it really messes everything up because she has no idea if her content is really good if it's really speaking to people because this engagement rate is all fake and so what you actually need is you need people who you need the right kind of people and I believe it's Seth Godin that says you know you only need an a thousand true fans right if you actually have a thousand people that are invested in your organization that you know feel like this is my cause and they you know and even if they're not super wealthy, right, they can still speak friends and family, they're advocating, they're sharing. I mean, that's more than you ever need. And so you want to focus on building that. And you can say, well, I don't have these super fans. If you have followers, right, and they chose to follow you, you can turn them into super fans with your content, you can sort of take them on this journey um, and cultivate them because you, you know, once you have your attention, if you're showing up in the right way with content that they want, then mm-hmm. you're able to transform them into super fans. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that the number really gets into people's heads. Um, and, you know, and it, I, I'm guilty of the same, right? You know, mm-hmm. when I started, I started my page six months ago, and here I was like a marketing coach, right? In the first few weeks with 300, 400 followers. I'm like, who would hire a marketing coach with 300 followers? <laughs> um, but, you know, people actually did because my content, you know, spoke to them. And then um, I'll have people who follow me and, you know, they'll tell me because they'll reach out, you know, two or three months to book me and they'll be like, you know, I just followed you for the, 
free tips. I had no intention of ever hiring um, a marketing coach. I didn't really know what, what a marketing coach does, but, um, but because I had their attention for those months and I showed up consistently with content that was helping them and adding value. So I was able to sort of bring them into that space of right being a super fan and then becoming a customer. And that's the exact journey you have to look at. You know, these 500 followers today, they might not be, um, you know, all in ready to donate, but you can take them on that journey. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, this is a different kind of super fan because I I didn't necessarily hire you, but I was like, I really need her to be on the podcast. I was like, she's <laughs> like the way that she shares stuff. I was like, I need to talk to her. Oh, I appreciate that. I love it. <laughs> Running a business, working your nonprofit, or just simply making an impact takes a lot of energy, which means you need the drink of champions, coffee. Specifically, you need Door County Coffee, a gourmet coffee roastery on a mission to bring you the best coffee on the planet. And that isn't hard when they only roast the top 2% of Arabica beans grown in the entire world. Try any of their medium or dark roasts, like my personal favorite, the Heroes Blend. Or you can try one of their almost 100 delicious flavors like Highlander Grog, Frosted Cinnamon Buns, or Vanilla Creme Brulee. They ship all across the country, so try your first pot today by going to doorcountycoffee.com and using the code IMPACT for 15% off your order. That's I-M-P-A-C-T for 15% off at doorcountycoffee.com. And get caffeinated today. Can you speak to this a little bit? Because you just shared this, because I'm definitely very guilty of this, um, especially with Operation Alone, is, uh, you know, we'll base things kind of an Instagram, and then it's just an auto copy into Facebook. I personally do not really differentiate what we're sharing on Instagram versus Facebook. And I felt very personally attacked when you were like, stop doing that on Instagram. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so said, can you- me. How did she know? I know. I was like, this is, okay. I was like, Cool. <laughs> Thanks for I actually did a poll in my story. So I think about 70% of, num- um, of people who voted said that they're, um, they're posting the identical content on both. Yeah. So you're not alone. And um, I did this for a long time as well. I kind of, you know, the way I looked at it was, you know, the audiences were different to some extent, right? And so if this is a good piece of content, objectively, then it should do well, you know, on either platform. Um, the main point I was trying to uh, drive home and the main, th- the main reason I sort of encourage my, my clients to take action is because what's fascinating is looking at the numbers, right? You'll post something on Instagram and it'll blow up and you'll post it on Facebook and mm, you'll get a handful of likes. So that is data that you want to use. And then, you know, vice versa. Suddenly you'll have like a post that kind of flops on Instagram and you'll see it kind of, you know, doing really well on Facebook. And so first of all, you want to use that just as a data point, you know, that's coming in, that's, you know, your audience is telling you something and what people expect to see on each platform is slightly different. And that's the thing. It's not hugely different. And that's why it's so hard because, um, because it feels like, doesn't it fit? Doesn't it all match? But the first thing I say is, right, look at those analytics and give each platform more of what they want. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would say is just pay attention when you're on the platforms. Pay attention to the kind of content that you end up engaging with on Facebook versus the kind of content you end up engaging on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And in what way? Because you, you already know the culture of these platforms because you're using them. But, you know, just stopping, taking a moment and saying, you know, 
what do I expect to see on Facebook? Why am I going on Facebook? You know, and maybe I'm expecting to see more long form text and more, um, you know, news updates or things like that, you know, links to uh, links to blogs or whatever. And then maybe I'm on Instagram and I'm expecting to see, you know, just really beautiful images. One of the things that I think also on Facebook, you have a little bit more freedom. I feel like on Instagram, at the end of the day, we still need that more that really um, beautifully curated feed. And I think on Facebook, you have a little bit more creative freedom because you don't have, you know, those like squares all lined up together. Um, so, uh, you know, <laughs> that kind of drive us all crazy. So I think, you know, playing to really just taking a moment, you know, the culture of the platform, but just internalizing that and using that to figure out how to slightly tweak your content. You know, I'm going to put a longer caption here and a shorter caption here. Um, I'm going to do you know, a really informal, silly photo on Facebook and, you know, maybe the more curated one on Instagram or, you know, yeah, take it from there. Gotcha. Which I think is really important and good, but even like, again, even yesterday I was reading that and I was like, I'm very guilty of this. And I was like, all great points. So thank you for that. Yeah. Do you have any like last minute tips, advice, anything that you just really want to share about nonprofit marketing? Yeah, so there's two things that come to mind. One is that very often nonprofits, because, right, our money is coming from our supporters, um, it's not sort of like, you know, ours to spend, we really feel that we need to show this like perfect facade. Like we are doing exactly what we said we were going to do. You know, we said, you know, this fundraiser was going to help X amount of people and we helped exactly that many people. Or, you know, even just think about when you, you know, you write a grant proposal and you're estimate, you're making all these estimations about what you're going to be able to accomplish. And then, you know, come, come the report, right? You're going to stretch it and figure out a way, you know, no matter what to say, we, we accomplished it perfectly. And that isn't real life. And it's also not how anybody's life or business works. It's not like we can make these perfect predictions and these promises and then keep them exactly to the T, like real life happens. Right. And so I think when nonprofits um, can sort of show up authentically, not like, oh, we screwed up, but to really show the journey of like this um, and, you know, show up authentically and be real and honest with the supporters, with the community, that's really going to resonate with people because it's almost like, you know, those, you see those people who have like their lives look too perfect. You never suspect their life like of being real, right? Like nobody falls for that. You know, if your organization is just a hundred percent perfect and you know, everything is just rainbows and unicorns. Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't build that, you know, that sense of trust. And also you want to look at your community and your supporters as partners with you. You want them to feel that. And in order to do that, you need to actually um, be honest and show up authentically. We're actually seeing like a huge trend on social media where it used to be all these mega influencers, right? You know, you're going to pay someone who has a million followers to promote your product. Um, that was all the rage with companies. And what they're actually finding is that those, um, those sort of mega influencers, their audiences don't have that much trust in them, right? Because they're too perfect. They're celebrities. They're completely unattainable. And so what companies are doing now is they're actually going and finding um, influencers with, you know, 5,000 followers, um, you know, and just a bunch of those. And that is really where they're investing their money because they're saying, you know, these smaller people, their audiences actually trust them. They're showing up authentically. Um, they're real people. And so people feel, you know, feel um, like they can trust their opinions and so on. And you want to think about that in the same way, right? Like if you're going to show up completely unattainable and perfect, 
your donors are always going to think like, mm, is it really all that, you know, all that great? Is it really all that perfect? And so right. showing up more authentically, I think is really where it's at. And even, even, um, uh, you know, when you'll see uh, organizations put out these like perfectly polished videos of the, you know, executive director, you know, and their hair and makeup in the studio, um, as opposed to, you know, showing up on an Instagram story, you know, a little bit looking a little bit grungy and, you know, talking about what was something that was really hard today. Um, you know, what are you, what's the organization struggling with? You know, what's something that you didn't expect to happen that's happening and how are you tackling that? Um, I think that's going to really build that trust and partnership. Mm. I do like that. And I think it's funny because I like Instagram influencers have always made me nervous just out of the <laughs> fact that I'm like, I'm j- I just, I've always looked at people who like, and their jobs really are like influencer. And I'm like, please understand. I was like, you're not doing this until you retire. Like, this is not your like career until you're 65. <laughs> like they make me nervous because I feel like they just think that they can be like that forever. And you're already pointing out like companies want to find more, I think it's even like micro influencers because usually their audiences are more engaged with them too than like someone with 2 million followers. Cause it's just not, it's just not realistic. This has been so great. I think this has been probably, and I'm not like slighting any interview we've done, but like a really tactical interview that I think people can like directly take nuggets from this, apply it to their nonprofit marketing plans. I love it so much. Uh, Where can people follow you, see more really great advice that you share on social media? How can they connect with you? Yeah, for sure. Thank you. So um, I'm on Instagram as thepedal.co and over there, I really share, um, you know, very practical tips on marketing, mindset, a little bit of everything. Um, so you can definitely um, check me out there and follow it along. Um, and you'll also see like the link to my site and all of that right there. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Seriously, everyone does need to go follow it. Cause like I said, at the beginning of the episode, not only is it informative, it's also really funny. Um, I, <laughs> I love it. I share a lot of your stuff cause I think it's so great, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for sharing a lot of your expertise today. I think this will be very transformative for a lot of nonprofits. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Susan. It's been such a fun conversation and so much fun going from like Instagram friends to like real friends. I love being able to like just talk to people that I feel like I've known for a long time on Instagram and be like, we've actually never spoken. Let's make a Zoom. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, thank exactly. you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Make an Impact podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, would you do a little rate, review, subscribe, dance? And if you really enjoyed yourself, would you share this on social media so someone else could catch the impact bug? Until next time, friend, I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world.